The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 63rd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we're discussing another haunted person, Denise. Who might that be? One of my favorite people. We're going to talk about the life and afterlife of Elvis Presley. He died this month, 38 years ago, and so I thought it would be fitting to talk a little bit about him and how he may still be around. And as Denise pointed out, he is one of my favorites. What's kind of cool about this, Denise, is that in high school, I was a geek, which is apparently is chic now to be geek. Chic to be a geek? <laughs> is that going to be a new story? <laughs> I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. I used to hang out with some girls in high school. We all felt like we should be back in the 50s. I had all kinds of posters on my wall of Elvis. One of my friends had a bunch of posters of James Dean. And another friend had a bunch of posters of Marilyn Monroe. So now that we're doing Elvis on the show, we've kind of hit the trifecta. Exactly, because we've already done Marilyn and James Dean. We didn't do him as a haunted individual, but we did talk about the curse of his car. So we've touched on all of them. So I'm looking forward to discussing that today. Before we get into that, we do want to point you guys to our historygoesbump.com website. It's everything there that you could possibly want to know about the show, where to find us on social media. You can sign up for the newsletter there. You can shop in our emporium and you can donate to the show. And as a matter of fact, we do have a little for those of you who are subscribed to the show. You would have already gotten this in your feed. If you're not subscribed, you would have missed it. But we had a positively scary arachnid, Denise. It was very scary. (laughs) It was a PSA. And I thought, what goes with that? Positively scary arachnid works for me. I hate spiders. Basically, what we did in that, and we'll just touch on it briefly here, is we added another sponsorship level to those who donate to the show over on our Patreon page, which you can check out at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. We added a $5 level, Denise, and this one unlocks exclusive content. So anybody who donates at least $5 a month to the show is going to unlock this exclusive content, which will include shows that have outtakes, behind the scenes, and most importantly, a brand new podcast that we've started called Haunted True Crime. So if you want to get in on that action, you can just go over to Patreon and sign up for an account over there and then become patrons of our show. It's something that a lot of podcasters out there have been doing lately. We've been doing it since we started. We've had a few people take advantage of it. If you're not into the Patreon thing, you can still donate to us via PayPal. You just go 
to our website. And over in the right-hand column, there is a donate button. Push that and you can either give us a one-time donation there or you can set up a recurring donation. And while the extra stuff will be added up on Patreon and people who are patrons should automatically get emails letting them know every time we do that. For those of you at PayPal, I will be sending you an email to make sure that you get the extras. Denise, we got some more reviews at iTunes. That is cool. And for those of you who listened to the Moses Cone episode, and I said, you know, Denise doesn't know about the three-star review. She does now because so many of you were letting her know that it was bullcrap. <laughs> She's like, what are they talking about? So I let her in on it. And Denise never does anything just 100%. She gives her all. She likes to give what she calls 120%. She would tell her Taekwondo students that that's what she expects of them. So, Denise, you're not just annoying. Oh, no, I'm just beyond annoying. That's right. You are just beyond annoying. We've been joking about that for a few days now. So I said, well, at least if you're going to be annoying, you're doing it at 120%. Which is what I expect. But these iTunes reviews are all five stars. Our first one is Miranda178. Love the podcast. Whether you love history or the paranormal, this podcast is great. I love the This Day in History and This Moment in Oddity History segments. The topics are very interesting, and I always look forward to the next one. Thanks so much, Miranda. 712, delightful combination of history and ghosties. I just started listening to this podcast. I love history and paranormal, so this is a perfect podcast experience. I really love the banter between the hosts because sometimes history can be boring. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Seven. Yes, thank you so much. And Pugs One. My new favorite podcast. I listened to a number of podcasts and this quickly became the podcast I enjoy most. I'm an open-minded skeptic too. The hosts are smart, funny, and they share stories, history, in an interesting and entertaining way. Well, thanks so much, Pugs. We appreciate that. Yeah, thanks to all three of you. If you haven't given us a review, we sure would appreciate those. And we want to thank our listeners for helping to share the show. The most amount of downloads that we've ever had of the show, Denise, were 468 on a, one day. Until last week, we had 1,178 downloads in one day. That just blows our minds. So and it wasn't thank on you a, all. It wasn't on a day when I had uploaded a brand new show. So just amazing. That's because you guys are getting the message out there. We managed to peak at number 34 in the history genre at iTunes. It was just a very fun ride. So thank you guys for taking us on that ride. And boy, we sure hope we get more of those. That was very fun. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Also want to give a quick shout out to HorrorMade.com. HorrorMade.com and Haunting TV. Both the same lady, Jeanette. She is fabulous. We just want to let you know that we are so thankful for all the support that you've been giving to our show. She is tweets about everything I put up on Twitter, and it does not go unnoticed. So thank you so much. And that HorrorMade.com website is fabulous. Lots of great content over there. So make sure you guys check that out. And Tiana has a special shout-out for Bodie. <laughs> and Denise, if anybody wants to send us any feedback or message us for some reason, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Denise, we have been slacking and welcoming people to our Spooktacular crew. We've been doing it on Facebook, but not on the show. That's true. I think we're doing it more on Facebook, and all of a sudden we were like, oh, wait, we haven't welcomed them. So who all has joined us, Diane? We want to welcome Jerry Wing Hansen. Hello, Jerry. Natalie Calderon. Natalie. Jessica Bell. And Jessica. Tasha Brito. Hey, Tasha. Heather Williams. Hi, Heather. And a fun fact about Heather, she knows how to decorate for Halloween. 
Oh, yes, she does. Wow, she posted some pictures of her Halloween setup. She's not going to get to do it this year because she's going to Vegas instead. And she asked us about some haunted stuff in Vegas, including the Golden Nugget. So we'll probably be doing that here maybe next month. But uh, So she's not going to be able to decorate this year. I was like, oh, we should have a competition or something. Well, also, this year we might be able to beat her. I bet we can beat her this <laughs> year for sure. <laughs> maybe we will have that contest. <laughs> the only year we're able to beat Heather. Also want to welcome Alyssa Alney. Hi, Alyssa. Savannah Perky. Hey, Savannah. Monica Childers. And Monica. And this would be Sparkle City Phil's wife. Yes, it is. And I hear she does Halloween cards and other little crafty crafts, right? That's what I hear. Looking forward to seeing some of that stuff. Pamela Steerwalt. Hey, Pamela. Hope I said that last name right. Hopefully we got everybody. We've been slacking, so hopefully we managed to catch everybody up with our new joiners over here at the Spectacular Crew. Absolutely. And if by chance we have missed your name, please don't hesitate to email us because we sometimes things do get slipped through the cracks, but we don't want any listener or any member of the Spectacular Crew to ever think that they're not important to us. Yeah, just put in your little subject line, yo boneheads. Yo boneheads, I'm here. Become an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast for as little as a buck a month. For $5 a month, you can access exclusive content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. And for $10 and above a month, you get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash history goes bump for more information. Or you can give us a one-time donation by clicking the donate button at historygoesbump.com. There is a very eerie mannequin in the store window at a bridal shop located in Chihuahua, Mexico. La Pascualita, as the mannequin is called, was installed in the window at La Casa de Pascualita in 1930. She is so lifelike that legend claims she is a real woman who has been perfectly embalmed. Even more curious is that the owner in 1930, Pascuala Esparza, had a daughter who had died on her wedding day after being bitten by a black widow spider. The mannequin bears an uncanny resemblance to Esparza. It is not only the face of La Pascualita that seems so lifelike. Her hands are so detailed that they look just as human as my hands. And her legs even have varicose veins. People who come into the shop claim that her eyes follow them as they move around the store. And employees think she moves at night. An employee who has to change the mannequin's clothes says she gets very nervous when she has to do it because La Pascualita seems so real. Some have dubbed her the Corpse Bride. One legend claims a magician would come and bring her to life at night and take her out on the town. She more than likely is the work of a very talented sculptor who captured the likeness of the previous store owner, but just like a doll, she sure gives us the heebie-jeebies because she is so odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost. Are you? This day in history. On this day, August 24th, in 79 AD, the most catastrophic eruption of a volcano occurred. Near the ancient city of Pompeii in Italy, 
was located a volcano named Mount Vesuvius. Pliny the Younger, who was a Roman poet, gave an eyewitness description of the destruction wreaked when Mount Vesuvius literally blew its top. For several years, violent earthquakes had rocked the area, giving early indications that all was not well with the volcano. On the morning of August 24th, ash and smoke began to spew from the volcano. At 1 p.m., Vesuvius erupted, throwing ash across the region, blanketing everything. Then a quick-moving, deadly flow of lava that was intensely hot began rushing forward, knocking down every building in its path. The eruption lasted for two days. It is believed that 1,500 people died during the eruption. Modern-day research and study of the cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum, which were completely destroyed, reveals that many of the people were killed by falling roofs and debris rather than from the ash. Some people were encased in ash, though, and their bodies were slightly preserved because of this. Many were killed in a fraction of a second. The blast was 100,000 times the thermal energy of the Hiroshima bombing proving that even man cannot create something as powerful as what nature can create. You're listening to History Goes Bump. Being born into poverty does not usually relegate someone into a life of opulence and superstardom a fame so great that everyone knows the person by just one name. Such was the life of Elvis Presley. It was a life cut short 38 years ago this month, but the legacy of Elvis lives on whether it be in his influence on music, style, or entertainment. After his death, it was popular for there to be sightings of Elvis. Some thought he faked his death so he could live a normal life. While many sightings have been fully alive people who happen to look like the man dubbed the King of Rock and Roll, other sightings have been of a ghostly image of Elvis. On this episode, we explore the life and afterlife of Elvis Presley. Elvis Aaron Presley was born on January 8, 1935, along with his twin, Jesse Guerin, to Gladys and Vernon Presley in Tupelo, Mississippi. Jesse was stillborn, and Elvis would feel the pain of that loss his entire life. Vernon had built a small two-room shotgun-style house before the twins were born, and Elvis entered life in that house. And we've actually seen that house on our move down to here from Colorado. And honestly, Denise, I don't know how two people and a baby lived in that. It, it is a very, very, very small house. Yeah, it was teeny tiny. I, I, I've seen chicken coops bigger than that. Exactly. I've definitely seen chicken coops bigger than that. Vernon and Gladys were poor, and Vernon had a hard time finding work. In 1938, the Presleys would lose their house, and Vernon went to jail for eight months for check fraud. Gladys and Elvis would form a very close, codependent bond, and she would come to rely on Elvis more than Vernon. The Presleys attended church, and Elvis started his love of music there. Elvis's first public performance was at the age of 10. He dressed up like a cowboy and sang Old Shep at a contest. He took fifth place, but his parents soon bought him a guitar and encouraged him to continue with music. Elvis enjoyed listening to Mississippi Slim's radio show and picked up his hillbilly rock sound from that while also being inspired by the spirituals he heard sung in his mostly black neighborhood. Mississippi Slim taught Elvis how to play chords on his guitar and even let him sing on air. Elvis was a loner and painfully shy. He got stage fright and was unable to sing the first time he was invited on the radio, but he was able to sing the next time. In 1948, the Presleys moved into public housing apartments in Memphis, Tennessee. 
Elvis entered high school in Memphis and had a music teacher that thought he had no talent and disliked the music Elvis performed. Elvis was also bullied as a mama's boy because he was so close to his mother. Vernon continued to be a never-do-well in Memphis. In 1950, Elvis started singing with a group of boys performing rockabilly. At this same time, Elvis blossomed into his own unique self that would cause him to stand out for the rest of his life. He grew his sideburns long, styled his hair with Vaseline, and started wearing wild, stylish clothes he purchased with his own money he earned while working odd jobs. In 1953, he took to the stage at a talent show, and he soon found himself popular in school based on his performance. Elvis decided that music would be his life. In 1954, Elvis headed down to Sun Records to record a present for his mother. He wanted to make her a record. He performed My Happiness, and That's When Your Heartaches Begin. Elvis told the receptionist at Sun Records that he didn't sound like anybody else, and he was right. Sam Phillips was the owner of Sun Records, and he took note of Elvis's name, but was not initially interested in his singing. Most people in the music industry did not appreciate Elvis's talents. He was told by one man to stick to truck driving because he would never make it as a singer. Phillips had long been seeking someone that had the sound of a black soul singers, but was a white man. He thought Elvis might be just that person. He asked two local musicians, bassist Bill Black and guitarist Scotty Moore, to play on a record with Elvis. The trio worked for hours to develop something to no avail. They were about to give up when Elvis started strumming his guitar and singing That's Alright Mama. Phillips knew that was the sound he wanted, and he recorded the trio's first record. And it's one of my favorite songs that he ever did. Phillips took the record to a local DJ, and people went nuts for the song. Callers phoned in all night asking who the singer was, and the DJ ended up playing the song on a continuous loop for the last two hours of his show. And the legend that would become the king of rock and roll was begun. The next day, the trio recorded Blue Moon of Kentucky, and it became the B-side of That's All Right Mama. The group began performing locally, and Elvis found that his stage fright caused his legs to shake. He would move his legs to try to hide his nerves, and the cut of his pants emphasized the movement. Girls started to notice. Elvis realized that the movements got positive reactions, so he went with it, and his bassist Black would follow suit, riding his bass and beating on it with what Elvis called a jungle drum sound. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The trio continued to record and play clubs and finally made it to the Grand Old Opry stage. It would be Elvis's only performance there as the manager felt he did not suit the venue. I think he was a little bit wild for them. You think? <laughs> you know, Denise, we talked about the life and afterlife of John Lennon, so we covered a little bit about the Beatles as well. And it was just amazing. It was like Elvis mania and Beatle mania. Nothing like we've ever seen before. I mean, when people go to concerts today, nobody swoons and passes out. But these people were passing out watching this. It it makes you wonder why. Uh, I I mean, they were just so overcome with the fact that there's somebody up there shaking and grinding. And I mean, the things they do on stage now, it's almost obscene, some of them. And it's like, why did that make girls like pass out? I don't get it. But whatever it was, 
nobody liked it that was older. The older generation thought it was horrible, and he's going to face this a lot. And I bet the grand old Opry sure was sorry he didn't come back there. Oh, absolutely. Because he was really known for being a country singer. Well, it's amazing how many people told him he was going to fail. He was never going to be nothing, whether it be a teacher, you know, record people. and That's right. We have a lot of young people who listen that are still in school. Mm-hmm. Don't ever let somebody tell you that you're not going to amount to something. And also keep in mind, every successful person has probably failed more than the average person before they got there. So keep going, guys and ladies. Elvis had been playing the same guitar he had received as a child this whole time. He finally purchased a new Martin guitar after the group was booked for the Louisiana Hayride for repeated performances on Saturdays. Elvis was moving up in music, but his mother was not happy. She continuously worried about him and guilted him for being away. In 1955, Elvis met Colonel Tom Parker, who was a promoter. He took Elvis under his wing and began booking him. Elvis found himself in a weird predicament at that time when it came to his music. One could say he was the first crossover artist. Radio stations did not know what genre his music was, and the records had a hard time finding airtime. Some said they were blues, some said jazz, and others said country. His songs were actually a mix of all of them, and this sound became known as rockabilly. And again, from our podcast that we did on John Lennon, this is the music that John Lennon first got involved with, too, was the rockabilly. They all liked that sound. I mean, I think it was because we were just starting to cross over from some of that early blues, jazz type stuff into the rock and roll, which was pure evil. We were all going straight to hell for playing rock and roll and listening to it and dancing to it. Elvis and his mother did have a very curious relationship. There's a lot of boys that are mama boys and very close to their mother, but theirs was extremely codependent. She basically treated Elvis almost like her husband. And I did read, I pretty much have read everything that's been written about Elvis, the autobiographies and stuff. And there was one that did wonder and had heard rumors that maybe there was a little more in that relationship that might have led into the incestuous a little bit, Um. which would answer to some of the dysfunction that Elvis definitely has later on as well. Yeah, well, it's very possible, especially at that era of time, how close he was to his mother and also the area that he came from. And this Colonel Tom Parker, while he was a great blessing for getting him promoted and getting him out there, he's going to steal so much money from Elvis, it's not even funny because Elvis didn't care about business and he wouldn't read a contract. And so Colonel Tom Parker would just write himself whatever he wanted to into that contract. He was taking half of everything whenever songs would get out there and royalties and taking credit for stuff he shouldn't have. And it was just just a jerk, I thought he was. DJ Fontana joined the trio as a drummer and they began playing in shows with Bill Haley and the Comets. Parker got Elvis signed to RCA Records. They reissued his son recordings and he began singing new songs under the label. In January of 1956, Elvis recorded Heartbreak Hotel for RCA. Colonel Parker took on the role as Elvis's manager at this time as well. So now he's doing everything. He's not just promoting, he's managing him. Elvis's debut album with RCA was the first rock and roll album to ever top the Billboard charts. Elvis made two appearances on the Milton Berle show with the second appearance causing a huge firestorm across America because of his exaggerated gyrations. The Steve Allen show forced Elvis to stand still, dress in a tux, and sing Hound Dog to a Basset Hound. I guess he was a little afraid Elvis would get too many gyrations going, so he thought this would fix it. That's like me talking without my hands. It probably destroyed it. Uh, Elvis made the best of it. He played it off like it was comedy, so he kind of laughs through the whole thing and plays up to the dog and stuff. But he always felt that it was his most ridiculous performance. 
Paramount Pictures signed Elvis to a seven-year contract at this time, and it was an open contract that allowed him to work for other studios. Elvis would make 31 films in his career and not be happy with most of the roles he played. He loved watching movies, and he desired to be like James Dean. He wanted gritty roles, but most movies would basically showcase his singing talent. His debut film, Love Me Tender, did well and probably became closest to giving him the kind of role he wanted. Jailhouse Rock was one of his grittier roles as well, and Diane's favorite Elvis movie. Absolutely love it. It's got great music. It's a, The story's great. I think it's one of the best movies he made. It was definitely Jailhouse Rock. Elvis continued to perform live, and his concerts became near riots, with girls screaming and passing out the minute he would step on stage. The boys, on the other hand, didn't like him. He had to travel with bodyguards all the time because they'd want to beat him up. And they would throw stuff at him and call him names. It was horrible. Probably because they were jealous that all the girls were passing out just because he was walking by. Probably. Absolutely. <laughs> his records continued to hit number one. And in 1957, he was able to purchase his beloved Graceland, an 18-room mansion in Memphis, which is a lot smaller than most people might think. He moved both of his parents into the home with him. Elvis was drafted the following year and entered the Army, believing that his singing career would be over. He managed to record some songs when he was on leave. And as we all know, his career was anything but finished. And the really cool thing is, when he was in the military, he insisted that they not treat him like a star. He wanted to do everything that everybody else did. So he went through basic just like everybody else. They didn't shave as much of his hair off as they probably could have. And he was just fabulous. He would pay for extra uniforms for all the guys, and he would buy special things for everybody, and they really enjoyed having him there. Two major life events happened during his tour of duty. The first was the loss of his mother, who died at only 46 from heart failure. She'd been suffering from hepatitis previous to this. Elvis was devastated. The relationship they shared was strange, and she was probably the only woman Elvis ever truly loved. The second life event was that he met Priscilla Beaulieu while he was serving in Germany. Priscilla was only 14 years old when she met Elvis at a party at his place in Germany. They dated while he was stationed there, and when he returned to America, she thought the romance was over. By March of 1963, Priscilla was moved into Graceland despite being underage. Her parents agreed to the arrangement as long as Elvis promised to marry her and as long as she attended an all-girls Catholic school. Priscilla was left at Graceland while Elvis went to Hollywood to make movies, and he carried on multiple affairs with his co-stars. He did eventually marry Priscilla in 1967, and she would give birth to Elvis's only child, Lisa Marie. Who you've actually got to meet, right? Yes, I did. Elvis's abuse of amphetamines began while he was in the Army, and he would abuse prescription drugs for the rest of his life, believing they helped him perform and helped to keep the weight off. He got Priscilla started on them as well. Their marriage was doomed from the beginning. Elvis had never wanted to marry, and his fame and the Memphis Mafia, which was his close circle of friends and bodyguards, kept Elvis distant from Priscilla. And then there was Colonel Parker. While he helped Elvis attain much of the fame and success he had due to his management, he also pushed people away from Elvis and helped to keep him drug addicted. The hits still kept coming from Elvis, despite his home troubles. Nobody has touched the heights Elvis reached except for the Beatles. He and Priscilla separated in 1972 and were divorced the next year. Despite the divorce, Priscilla founded and ran Elvis Presley Enterprises in order to protect Lisa Marie's inheritance. But she also remained close with Elvis, holding his hand as they left the courthouse. 
Priscilla would turn the meager $1 million inheritance to $100 million with her business proudness. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that when Elvis passed away, he was almost broke. He was, he was getting pretty low on funds, and she turned that way around. Elvis continued to star in movies that were panned by critics, but commercial successes. During his marriage to Priscilla, the songs that Elvis recorded steadily sank on the charts. The number one spot eluded him for five years, save for one song, Crying in the Chapel. He decided to perform in a television special that was dubbed the 68 Comeback Special. Elvis wore black leather and performed before an intimate crowd in a mainly acoustic style. It was a huge success. He fell in love with music again. He started performing in concerts again and wearing the elaborate jumpsuits that we all know him by today. Elvis became a mainstay in Vegas in these later years, and requests came in from around the world for him to perform. Newsweek proclaimed of Elvis, quote, There are several unbelievable things about Elvis, but the most incredible is his staying power in a world where meteoric careers fade like shooting stars, end quote. The schedule Elvis kept was grueling. He ate poorly and fueled his energy with prescription drugs. Elvis never thought of himself as an addict, but he was as addicted as any skid row junkie, and it would eventually kill him. His health began to fade quickly. In 1973, he overdosed on barbiturates twice. This didn't stop him from running with an equally crazy concert tour in 1974. His bandmates really feared for his life and watched as he used the microphone stand to hold himself up and slurred through songs that were barely intelligible. Elvis continued to record a few songs in the 70s, but his last albums were basically live recordings of his concerts. RCA set up a studio for him at Graceland, but Elvis was unable to record. He could barely perform live at this point. By early 1977, he was giving very short concerts, barely staying on stage for an hour, or just not showing up for concerts altogether. His concert tour was canceled. On August 16, 1977, Elvis went into his bathroom and he did not come out. His girlfriend, Ginger Alden, found him unresponsive on the floor and called 911. Elvis Presley was pronounced dead at 3.30 p.m. at Baptist Memorial Hospital. Years of drug use had taken their toll. Elvis had genetic heart disease, and the drugs probably hastened his death. Between the pages of my mind Memories Sweden through the ages Just like wine oh, It's so sad whenever I hear the stories from people on top and drugs take them down to, you know, that kind of a death by himself on the floor of the bathroom. It's just very, very sad. And of course, back then, they didn't know exactly the effects that all these drugs would have. And all he knew was some guy in the army gave him some uppers to help him come up. And he was like, wow, these are like magic. And a lot of these people, I think they get involved in that because they're running a schedule that is just not normal where you're playing late into the night and then you're sleeping in until noon. And if and, even sleeping, because then there's all the recording that goes on and answering fan mail. And I mean, do they ever get to much sleep? Nope. 
Well, and the other thing is when you hear a lot of these performers asked about how it feels to not be on stage versus being on stage, they say there's a big difference. It really is a high for them to perform. And so it's very hard for them to come down from that high. And that's why I think a lot of these people do get into the drugs is because they're trying to maintain that high they get on stage. Some people refuse to believe that Elvis is dead. To this day, people still claim to catch sightings of him. In 1998, a man by the name of Jimmy Ellis was murdered in a pawn shop he owned in Alabama. Jimmy had a music career at one time. He went by the stage name Orion, and he wore a mask like Zorro. He gained some fame, but not because of his talent, but because he looked and sounded just like Elvis. People began to believe he was Elvis. A new documentary entitled Orion, The Man Who Would Be King, details his struggle to get out of the Elvis shadow. The world wanted Elvis back, and that desire led many to believe that Ellis was the king. Other sightings happened as well, but the sightings we are interested in are the sightings of Elvis in the afterlife. As is the case with many haunted people we have featured on the podcast, Elvis's spirit is seen and felt at many locations, but his favorite place is still Graceland. Many fans have snapped photos of Graceland and captured what looks like the spirit of Elvis peering out from windows. His grave is behind Graceland, and his full-bodied apparition has been seen standing near the grave. He has also been spotted going up and down the stairs inside his home. Tour guides have been asked by visitors who the man impersonating Elvis is, but the tours do not feature Elvis impersonators. The sound of a male singing upstairs at Graceland has been heard. On one particular tour, several people claimed that Elvis had appeared to them and asked what they were doing in his house. Then it happened again and again over several days. At least nine people claimed to have the same experience of a young Elvis asking them the question about being in his home. It was in 1980 on December 20th that Elvis was picked up by five separate people in their cars. He was wearing an army uniform and was young. He asked the drivers to stop at the gates of Graceland. One of the drivers was driving a truck and he claimed that the young Elvis sang for him while they drove. There are others who have seen Elvis dressed in a uniform near Graceland on other days as well. Wayne Newton claims to have seen the ghost of Elvis once when he was performing. He said that it happened when he was on stage playing a set and the lights went very dark and everything in the room seemed to stop. He looked up at the balcony, which was supposed to be empty, and saw a man standing there. There suddenly was a light behind the man and there was no doubt in Wayne Newton's mind that the figure was Elvis in a jumpsuit. Then he saw his face, and Elvis was smiling at him as though he approved of the performance. Then he disappeared, the lights came back up again, and the room was full of the sounds of the performance. The Las Vegas Hilton was a favorite place for Elvis to perform, and he seems to be hanging out in the afterlife. His apparition has been seen wearing his traditional rhinestone jumpsuit, hurrying in the direction of the stage. When people attempt to interact with the apparition, it disappears. Most interesting is that a ghostly Cadillac joins Elvis at the Hilton. Elvis used to have his own private entrance into the hotel. A concrete wall now stands where that entrance once had been. Witnesses claim to see a man who looks like Elvis driving a red Cadillac around the Hilton, and that when he arrives at the concrete wall, he and the car go right through it as if the private entrance was still there. Maybe they're just trying to catch the Hogwarts Express. Uh, So you're saying that Elvis is actually at Hogwarts now. Very possibly, there's a lot of full-bodied apparitions at Hogwarts. That's true. Elvis lived bigger than life. Is it possible for a life like that to just end? Is it just the legend of Elvis that lives on, or does he continue on in the afterlife? Are people truly seeing the ghost of Elvis? That is for you to decide. 
Denise, I've seen several of those pictures that are supposedly capturing the spirit of Elvis. And again, as I feel with a lot of the other pictures we've seen, maybe, maybe not. Could just be a little weird reflection in the window. But I have no doubt that if Elvis was going to hang out somewhere in the afterlife, it would definitely be Graceland. He loved the place. Oh, I'm thinking that would definitely be the place he would want to be and the place where I need to take somebody else that we all know and love. (laughs) I'm a huge lover of Elvis and I've never been to Graceland. Pretty weird, huh? Yep. I have that on the itinerary when we're able to do our next Tennessee road trip. Well, we had a young lady who made a suggestion for a place that she would like to hear about. And she said, anywhere in Pittsburgh. Anywhere. So, so we have chosen the federal courthouse. So that will be our next broadcast that we are bringing to you guys. So please join us for that one. We want to thank you for joining us for this one. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Executive producers of this episode are... Levi Drescher. Rachel Cooper. Dan Foytit. And Janice Carlson. Thanks for keeping the show alive. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.